Welcome back to Lockdown's Basketball. Today we'll speak to fifth-year Toledo guard Quinesha Lockett and cover some more 2024 draft prospects who could emerge as household names in Segment 3. Last season, Lockett led Toledo to a MAC title and helped upset Iowa State in the first round of the NCAA tournament. For a sneak peek for our listeners at home, Lockett is a top 25 prospect on the Nexus 2024 draft board, which will be available at thenexthoops.com on Sunday, October 29th. Lockdown's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. You are Love Women's Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. My name is Hunter Cruz. I'm your Saturday host, but I'm also here on Wednesday now today, covering the WBA and prospect scouting at large. But without further ado, now on to our conversation, Quinesha Lockett. I'm now joined by Toledo guard Quinesha Lockett. To get right into it, you're a player we talked about, about a lot last season as an under-the-radar draft prospect, but for our newer listeners, how would you describe your game? Um, my game, I would say I'm a pretty fast player. I'm a slasher. Like, I like to get to the rim. I like I like driving in there, getting to the lane. But I'm also, like, I'm a three-level scorer. Like, I can I can shoot the three, and I can also hit that pull-up. But um, I would also say I like to play defense, too. Like, I'm a defensive player. I, I feel like defense gets my offense going. So once I get a good stop on D, then I know, like, I've made my presence in the game. I'm here, and... Now we can start scoring on offense. One thing we talk about a lot in the scouting space is advantage creation. I don't know if you ever heard this term before, but just basically your ability to send the defense into rotation, uh, draw doubles. For you, you create so many advantages as a driver. Like you yeah. draw doubles, consistently getting to the rim, um, putting pressure on the rim. Could you dive into that, that part of your game a little bit more and what makes you so lethal? Yeah, so um, actually, like, I'll just start off how I used to play in high school. Like, in high school, I was, like, the person that just always had the ball in my hands and I'm going to the basket without really trying to pass the ball. Like, I'm trying to score as much as possible uh, just to help my team win. But as, like, the game progresses and I get older, I see, like, I can see those reasons now to where, like, before I wouldn't do that. So when I'm driving to the basket, I know all eyes are on me. Like, possibly, like, all five players could be on me watching them, watching me. So I just have to have that good court vision and see my teammates and, or even just notice like who, whose man came over towards me to pass it to them. And I, I would say like over the years, it's, it's got a lot better, like my vision, my court vision. You ranked in the 88th percentile last season as a pick and roll ball handler. Um, and as you mentioned, just putting pressure on the rim, be able to pass out of those drives. Whenever you're operating out of pick and roll, what are some things you're looking for? Um, so when I'm going in a pick and roll, I'm basically just trying to see if the defender went over or if they went under. And if they go under, that's basically like look for yourself, you got a shot. But if they go um, if they go over, that's most likely when you have that drive going downhill. And I look for my post first. Well, no, myself first. Then I look for the post and then either a ball side corner or opposite corner. So that's what I look for out of a ball screen. Um, and then, as you mentioned, your shooting ability, you ended the season shooting 36% in March. Um, did you experiment with any mechanical tweaks to end the season over the summer? Um, what's your approach to that entering the season? Um, so at the, I mean, like just going through the season and just getting to March, I would say I'm just getting up reps, like just trying to get up extra shots and stuff, just so it can just feel automatic, like just the mechanics of everything. And then, uh, 
after season, it's the same of that, like same more, getting up quicker shots or just getting shots out of, um, like out of a shot fake or something like that, just seeing how I'm going to get shots in the game. And I was speaking to a member of a WNBA staff a few weeks ago. And one thing she talked about was whenever she coached in college, um, it wasn't just about teaching players how to watch film, but what to watch for. So you've been at Toledo for a little bit now, um, going on your fifth season. Um, what's your film watching process like and how has that developed over your time? Um, so freshman year, look, freshman year, uh, we just would watch film like with the team and have a, like some individuals um, film, but I wouldn't really like know what to really look for. Like I'm just saying, okay, I, I messed up here, so I just can't mess up there again. Or, or I didn't go get this rebound, so next time go get the rebound. But like now when I'm watching film, I, uh, like my coaches usually ask me like, what, so what do you think you could have did here instead of them telling me what, like what I could have done there, or even just seeing different reads, seeing what I see out of there. So you made, okay. So I saw you made an appearance on uh, a playback stream for the, for the WNBA playoffs. Um, how much do you pay attention to the W and how much do you follow it throughout the summer? Um, through the summer, not as much as I do when it's, uh, you know, basketball season coming and, mm -hmm. Uh, the games are on, but uh, now I, I would say pretty, pretty, a pretty good, decent amount when I have the time to watch the games or if they're not on too late because we be having early practices. But um, yeah, I would say. Do you have any? Do you have any favorite players to watch film on? Yeah, Kylie Cooper. Kylie Cooper. Kylie Hopper. Yeah, plays for Chicago Sky. I feel like like, uh -huh. I, well, not like she, not me, but like. Right. I, like my game emulates after her, like. Like she's a downhill player. Like she she plays full court in transition. Like she likes to get downhill, um, and she can also set three. So I feel like like that's me. And she's very well, except for the part she she got some mm to her. Like you know she got a lot of spice, yeah. a whole lot of spice. And uh, I really like that. Like she got a lot of tenacity. And you're entering your fifth fifth year at Toledo, um, and you have two other teammates who have also been there with you for five seasons, I believe. Um, and that's pretty unusual in this current state of college athletics. Um, so what is it about Toledo, the coaching staff, um, and just the program in general that makes it such a special place that can retain talent like that? Yeah. Um, so in like for it's four of us actually. It's me, uh, Sophia Wired, and I yes, and Soleil Barnes. So um, yeah, we all been here since then. And I would say it's us. Like, even though like our coaching staff does a really good job um recruiting and and how they handle us and stuff, but I would just say it's like our teammates. Like, you know, you, you do it for them, like you have fun with them, like you spend most of your time and your days with them. So it's just create it was creating a bond and it's just stuck from there, like we family, honestly. And then you got the NCAA, NCAA tournament for your first time this past season. Um, you yeah. docked off Iowa State in the first round. Looking back, what was that experience like for you, and what did you learn about yourself from that? Um, it was amazing. The experience was amazing, mind-blowing. It was really, like, a shock, but it was just, like, we knew mm -hmm. we were meant to be there. Like, we should have been there. And I would say something that I learned about myself was, um, like, I wasn't satisfied. Like, I was not satisfied just uh, making it to the second round. Like, I wanted to keep going and moving forward. And one of our, like, now is, like, Sweet 16. Like, we're trying to put it in the atmosphere and make it so we can keep going forward. And what led you? Like, What, what would you say is, like, the main reason you wanted to come back to school um, instead of going pro? Um, Getting more experience. I feel like I needed to be mentally and physically ready for the next mm -hmm. level. And I feel like I'm, I'm getting there now. After the break, we'll wrap up our interview with Lockett. And later in segment three, we'll cover a few more under-the-radar 2024 draft prospects.
Price picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times money this football season. You can just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like, like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts each select player's projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Prize Picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. Go to prizepicks.com slash or use code LOCKEDONNBA for a free first deposit up to $100. Um, let's finish off some with some more rapid fire questions. Some that don't really pertain to basketball as much. So I saw that you're really good at reciting movie quotes. Um, what's your what's your go to genre, and what's your all time favorite movie? Um, so I'm I'm more into like uh like Twi- I like Twilight. That's my favorite movie, just all together, like the whole series. So and then you want me to recite a line from that from the movie? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> so in down in Breaking Down Part Two. It's when uh, Bella becomes a vampire finally, and she gets to see her daughter for the first time. But Jacob, like her best friend, and he's a werewolf, and he sees her before the daughter or whatever. She's like, oh my gosh, like I missed you. So the conversation starts like, hi, Jacob. And then she's like, oh my gosh, Jacob, like you really do stink. And (laughs) so then it keeps going a little bit forward and forward and forward. And she realizes that Jacob has this thing for her uh for her daughter not saying that it's a thing but it's a thing where he basically imprints so he says you know it's a wolf thing and we can't control it and bella says what's a wolf thing and then jacob says we can't control like who we have with and she said you nicknamed my daughter after the Loch Ness monster they got into a little scuffle after that yeah good, good work so I also saw you recently picked up tennis. Um, besides that, what is something people probably wouldn't know about you? Um, I I I love taking naps. I take a lot of naps. <laughs> um, I cook. I am a very good cook. I call myself Chef Q. Hello. Um, what else? I paint a little bit, and I also skate. What can you cook? What's the best thing you've cooked recently? Best thing I cooked recently. I make a a mean homemade chicken pot pie. That's good. That's good. Um, and then who's your favorite athlete outside of women's basketball? Outside of women's basketball, I'm a huge fan of John Morant. I love Stephen Curry. Um, and then recently, Coco. Like, Coco, she's just, oh, she fired. Like, she's just so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what's your favorite moment of your college career so far? Mm. Favorite moment of my college career. Can I say, like, three? Yeah, yeah. Okay, look, can I say like three? Okay, so um, one of them would be just our foreign trips that we take in general, like when we went to Italy my freshman year and then Greece uh, this year. Well, yeah, this year, Greece this year. And then second, I would say beating mm-hmm. BG for the outright championship. That's just all ourselves. And then third would be playing, playing at Tennessee. That was, that was a good experience. And then what about basketball brings you the most joy? The oof, even though like it it doesn't bring me joy sometimes, but like how competitive it is. Like 
and we meet a like you meet a lot of people that you're gonna know for the rest of your life. So I just would say like the relationships and the competitiveness of basketball. And then one last question: What is one word to describe your game on the court? Um, I would say ah, one word. I can't think of just one word. Like I'm just. Feeling- I was gonna say quick. I was gonna say. Okay. Yeah. Quick. It's fast. Speedy. Lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate you taking the time, and you can tune into Quinesha and Toledo this winter. Their non-conference slates pretty stacked. They play against Duke, Michigan, Gonzaga, and plenty more. Yes. Um, where can people Where can people find you if they want to see your stuff on social media as well? Um, guys can find me on Instagram at Q underscore Lockett, number five. Um, Twitter, same. I'm on TikTok as well, but mostly uh, Instagram and Twitter. After the break, we'll talk about Louisville, Sydney Taylor, and a few more under-the-radar prospects in this year's draft. But first, here's a word from our partners. All right, so we're nearing the college basketball season, which means it's also draft season here at the next. We're debuting our 2024 preseason draft board. In the next week, we'll also be gearing up more draft coverage with our WBA retrospect series coming to an end. But that means it's time to spotlight some under-the-radar prospects that we have our eyes on here because it's not always about, okay, who's we know Caitlin Clark, we know Paige Beckers, Cameron Brink, Angel Reese. We know these names. These are household names, but there's also – under-the-radar prospects that deserve mention and are real prospects. And one of those players for me is Sydney Taylor, transfer from UMass. She's now at Louisville, five foot nine guard. The main thing with her is the shooting. Last season, she was one of four players in the country to shoot 36% from three on at least eight three-point attempts per game. So an exclusive group with like Sammy Puisis, uh, Caitlin Carp was also on that list and one of their player. She is an elite shooter. We're talking about the versatility pull-ups off screen, off movement, and it's just a modern basketball player. Whenever I watch Cindy Taylor, I'm like, this is modern basketball. She doesn't take a lot of deep twos. She's just rim three, um, not a lot of rim attempts. It's mostly threes, but she's efficient. She shot 38% last year, so 38.5% on 38.5%, like I said, on 8.2 attempts per game, only two, 5.3, two-point attempts per game, and she averaged 16.1 points, five rebounds. The main thing that's keeping her from being on our board, which you won't see her on our board coming um, soon, is the translation from playing A-10 basketball to playing against ACC competition, high major competition. She was a star this summer. Louisville went to a foreign tour. They played in Canada against some more select teams, but she was a star. And there was a lot – they, they were raving about her and how good she was playing for them. I really just want to see how her game translates to a complete high major schedule. They played they played in the in the WNIT last season. They also played a game against Tennessee. She struggled in that game. But that's a one-game sample compared to a whole season of playing high major competition. So Sydney Taylor, someone we're talking about, has a five foot nine off guard. Not the greatest playmaker. She's a good connected passer. I think she makes good decisions with the ball. Um, not gonna, not a game-breaking passer by any means, but a really good off-guard, good size, good athleticism at the guard position. I really like her as a prospect for this year, and I think she's someone that could emerge 
probably not as a first rounder, probably not as a second rounder, but someone I would say third round, I'm taking a pick on her. There's not many shooters better than her in the country. The second player I want to spotlight today is Carla Leite. Um, there's a lot of French prospects coming up. We had Maya Hirsch on our board last year. We're going to also have Leila Lacan, who we see as the best international prospect in this class and one of the best international prospects we've seen in a minute, also out of France. But Carla Leite is a really good guard prospect. One of the four to five, five to six best pick and roll operators in this class. She is elite at the, on the ball. Good pick and roll operator, like I said. Good burst, elite first step. She gets downhill with ease. We saw that at the at the FIBA under twenties. She was on a tear. She she was shooting like close to fifty percent for three. She is not that level of a shooter, obviously, but she is a good shooter. Like the mechanics, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of promise there. It's just about the the really the percentages, the efficiency. So far this season in five games, she's shooting 21% on 19 attempts so far, but she gets the line like like crazy. She's shooting close to 93% from the line so far this season in France. She's one of the best young international guard prospects I've seen in a minute, um, along with her fellow French player in Lila Lacan. I think she's someone to watch, and I think whenever we look at this draft as a whole, there's a lot of pick-and-roll operators. And that was the problem with last year's draft. There was just not a lot of pick-and-roll operators and guards that could also score out of the pick-and-roll. Like, we had Grace Berger. She couldn't really shoot as much as she would like, and she's also not the traditional athlete where we're talking about a 5'9 guard that's going to put pressure on the rim like crazy, draw help, just that advantage creation that we talked about with Quinnisha Lockett earlier. That's what I see with Carla Leite. She's going to draw doubles. The main concern with her, though, is her off-ball ability. She provides close to no value off the ball. So whenever she's not running a pick and roll, whenever she's not running uh, at isolation transition, her off ball shooting is rough. She doesn't move a lot off ball. She's not really cutting a lot. And those are some things that keeps her from being maybe a top 10 prospect, maybe a top 12 to 13 prospect. She's more in that early second round range for us right now. We have a 40 grade on her, which uh, if you're not familiar with our 40, our 40 grade and how our, 2080 scale works the baseball like scale so 45 is like an average WNBA contributor we rank prospects based on their median outcome instead of like their high end outcome or like the greatest case or the lowest case it's more what is the most average outcome 50th percentile out outcome of their career so a 40 is basically saying she is a slightly below average rotation player she's a sixth six woman on your team she's a high end high-end bench player, uh, which is a good player and someone that we believe is going to be a high-level prospect in this draft, and we believe teams will probably be trying to get her in the second round as a stash. And finally, the third prospect I want to talk about today is Alicia Flores out of Spain. This is maybe the most boomer bust guard prospect in this class, someone that I don't see really being taken more than a third-round pick, if that. She plays for Valencia in Spain. She is not a major part of their national main team so far, but she's just fun. Like she's just a fun player. Five foot, five ten, five foot nine, five foot ten guard. She gets downhill like crazy. She's a creative passer. If you watch her highlights, she's probably a top five player in this class, just based off highlight tapes in general. Throw in her highlight tapes, she'll make some behind the back passes. She'll make some sick one-legged fadeaways. Um, just an elite passer, just an elite ball handler, and create just so creative with the ball in general. 
But the main thing with her is her diet of shots. How is it going to translate to the next level? Can this type of, of archetype translate? It's also the free throw struggles. She's really struggled from three and her efficiency from three and also in the free throw line. Her efficiency in general has just been the main thing with me for her. But I like the tools. She's She plays so hard on defense too. Um, but I think she's someone that is likely an international player, someone we see playing for for Spain in the World Cup, someone we see playing for the in the Olympics for them, with an off chance of her becoming a WNBA player at some point. Right now, though, she's not a WNBA player right now, and she's not really getting main, main minutes on their national team. She's more in the youth pipeline playing um, in their top youth league with with some other players that we see as future prospects. But she's someone we have in the draft and stash range. How that differs from Leite, though, is Leite, we see her as a prospect that we believe yields value in the draft more so than Flores, where she yields value, obviously. But she's someone you're really stashing to probably not come over unless it works out to its best case. Leite's someone you invest, and you probably call her over younger where Flores is someone you keep her right. There's there's plenty of players in the league right now that we see late second round picks. They don't or late third round picks. They don't ever really come over, and that's more so what we're, we're talking about with Flores. Where if it really works out, she's a star. A WBA team has her right, and they can call her over, give her a chance. With Lacey, though, we see a lot of upside, a lot of ability to come over young. Um, I know there's some things with France and getting eligibility, but she's someone we believe. It's a top guard prospect. If a team doesn't have the ability to roster an extra player in the second round or even the early third, you take her and you invest in the resource. We saw it last year with Janice Swain, like I mentioned, Maya Hirsch, Ileana Repair a couple of years ago. These are players that were drafting stash international prospects who I believe are WBA caliber players because you're getting their rights so young. Like you're drafting players that are 19, 20 years old, and compared to some college players who are 23 years old. So I believe I believe there's a lot of value to have with international prospects. And that's something we'll be talking about a lot this year is just trying to trying to bank on these international prospects and taking upside swings. Because in the draft, it's it's a crapshoot sometimes. And there's nothing better than taking an international prospect in the third round rather than a, a training camp spot with a player that's probably not going to translate and it'll probably get cut anyway. There's a lot more flexibility in the, the WBA. There's not the ability to put a player in the G league, like the NBA has some more. So with the WNBA, these are really two way contracts. You can stash them overseas, let them keep developing and still have their rights to still roster them on your team down the line. I think it's a great plan. And I think that there's a lot of value to be had there. But thanks for making Lots of Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Join the team at the next back next week for continued coverage of women's basketball as a whole. Like I said, our preseason WBA draft board releasing on Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, Sunday, October 29th. Have a great rest of your weekend, everyone.